This is the View from Apollo podcast, an ongoing conversation on alternative investing, economics, and the trends shaping up financial markets. In this episode, Apollo Chief Economist Torsten Slock speaks with Matt O'Mara, a partner in Apollo's Insurance Solutions Group, and Keith Black, adjunct faculty at the University of Massachusetts, about the concept of public equity replacement. Here's how Matt set the scene. The vulnerabilities in public equity markets made us wonder if it's possible to maintain the positive traits associated with public stock ownership while mitigating some of the increasingly prominent downsides associated with the exposure. In other words, is there an alternative solution that could serve the role traditionally played by public stocks while eliminating or minimizing some of the asset class's most problematic features? The answer, it turns out, is yes, as Matt and Keith discovered when working on their recently launched white paper titled Beyond Beta, How to Use Alternatives to Replace Public Equity, which is available for download at apolloacademy.com. They'll walk us through their key findings and, of course, the implications for investors. So, let's get started. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Torsten Slock, Chief Economist at Apollo, and you're listening to The View from Apollo podcast. My guests today are Matt O'Mara and Keith Black. Matt O'Mara is a partner in the Insurance Solutions Group at Apollo and a lead portfolio manager here at the firm. Keith Black is an adjunct faculty of finance at the University of Massachusetts Eisenberg School of Management. He has a PhD in management sciences in addition to a long list of other degrees and designations. I'm excited to have our guest here with me today to talk about the concept of equity replacement or the idea of using alternative asset classes in place of or as a supplement to traditional public equity allocations. It's an intriguing concept and one that should prove a fascinating topic for our discussion. So without any further ado, let me get right to it. Matt, Keith, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here again. Uh, Thanks, Torsten. I'm excited to join the show. Well, it's my pleasure to speak with both of you. Let's start with the most obvious question. What is equity replacement and why should we care? It's a good question, Torsen. So uh, before I answer that, let's back up a step and think about why people invest in public equities in the first place. Uh, you know, what's the role of public equities in portfolios? What benefits do investors hope to gain by allocating assets? So people allocate a portion of their investment portfolio to public equities for all sorts of reasons. First and foremost has got to be returns. Historically, and depending on the time period, market conditions, you can generally expect to get high single digits return from equities. And there's certainly been extended periods of time, like the late teens, when you can get double digit returns. And these levels of returns can be really impactful when you're trying to plan for the future. You compare that to bonds, you're often getting low to mid single digit returns, uh, depending on quality, duration, some other factors. And there's actually a measure uh, that's used in the market to describe the outperformance of equities. It's called the equity risk premium. So you take the expected returns of equity, you subtract out treasuries, and you get this ERP, or equity risk premium measure. Over long periods of time, that equity risk premium has been positive, and it's positive now, which suggests that equity investors probably get a higher go-forward return than bond investors. So first and foremost, returns. Second, liquidity and accessibility. So You know, it's really easy to invest in public equities. Tens of billions of dollars traded every day in the NYSE. Uh, All sorts of products, including mutual funds, ETFs, single name stocks. Investors can get in, get out, you know, quickly, easily, cheaply. And then also uh, worth saying that, you know, equities offer less correlation to bonds. So if you put together a portfolio, standard 60-40 portfolio, right? 
the equities tend to perform differently. And so having some equities in your portfolio adds to diversity versus bonds. You know, they perform differently, increases expected safety, reduces ex- expected volatility. Of course, the, the correlation is not a guarantee. We saw in 2022 that you know, both equities and bonds can trade down sometimes significantly at the same time. So it's really those three main factors. It's returns, it's liquidity, and it's correlation. Okay, that makes complete sense. So let me now turn to you, Keith. I mean, why would an investor want to consider an alternative? Torsten, there's some cyclical and secular changes taking place in public equity markets that are accentuating the vulnerabilities of public equities as an asset class. On the cyclical side, we've seen a surge of inflation. And as you know, high inflation has traditionally been correlated with lower returns on equities. In recent years, inflation and higher discount rates have eroded real returns on allocations to public equity. Then there are other deeper and more lasting changes to public equity markets. The stats on increasing concentration of the U.S. equity market are stunning. While there were 8,000 public companies in the U.S. in 1996, there were only 4,300 public companies by 2020. The top five companies in the U.S. market and are 24% of market capitalization, while the S&P 500 makes up 82% of the value of the U.S. market. With trillions of dollars moving from active funds into index funds and the top companies taking larger and larger weights, the market's more concentrated, more volatile, and harder to beat. In fact, 94% of active managers underperformed the S&P 500 over the last 20 years. Investors are moving their money in an admission that public equity is now providing more beta than an opportunity to earn alpha. While investors enjoy the high long-term returns to public equity, they certainly don't enjoy the volatility as the S&P 500 experienced four separate drawdowns of between 14 and 44% since 2008. So Matt, if I understand what you and Keith are saying, investors rely on public equities for important things like dependable liquidity and strong long-term investment returns. But changes in public markets are making these holdings more volatile and even perhaps less reliable? Yeah, that's right. The vulnerabilities in public equity markets you know, made us wonder if it's possible to maintain the positive traits associated with public stock ownership while mitigating some of the increasingly prominent downsides associated with the exposure. In other words, is there an alternative solution that could serve the role traditionally played by public stocks while eliminating or minimizing some of the asset class's most problematic features? So that is the concept of equity replacement. An equity replacement is really just a portfolio that tries to get those same public equity positive traits, namely the high returns that we talked about before, but mitigating those increasing vulnerabilities. And is that possible? Does such a portfolio exist? Yeah, I mean, it does. Our work shows that replacing some public equity allocations with a portfolio of private assets, so combination of private equity, private debt, real assets, uh, it can deliver potential returns on par with, you know, or even above those of public stocks. And while doing that, it, you know, you can get to a lower level of volatility, and you can have enhanced protection against inflation, and you can, you know, potentially increase your diversity by accessing an expanded investable universe. Well, that sounds very attractive for investors. So maybe Keith, can you walk me through how you and Matt came to that conclusion? Yeah, sure. We started our work by establishing a set of expectations that an alternative solution would have to meet in order to serve as a replacement to public equity exposure. We decided that an effective alternative would be required to do several things. Deliver returns on par with or in excess of public equities. 
generate those returns at lower levels of volatility, provide enhanced protection against inflation, and expand the investable universe to increase opportunities for investors. Our work suggests that these three strategies working in aggregate were the most likely to meet these criteria for the public equity replacement portfolio. The role of private equity in the portfolio is to enhance returns and to broaden investment opportunities beyond those available in public markets. While there are 2,600 public companies in the U.S. with annual revenues exceeding $100 million, there are 17,500 private companies with similar levels of revenue. Investing in private debt allows investors to earn income that rises with the market level of interest rates, which is in contrast to the loss of value of fixed income securities in times of rising rates and rising inflation. Investing in real assets, including real estate, infrastructure, and natural resources, provides a key inflation hedge that can offset the inflation risk in our portfolio of fixed income and in public equities. We set out to test our hypothesis by creating a simple, non-optimized sample portfolio consisting of 50% invested in private equity, 25% invested in private debt, and 25% in real assets. While private equity drives the portfolio returns, we know that a new investment program in private equity experiences a time called the J-curve, where the portfolio may take years to provide income or return of capital. Mixing in private debt and real assets blends in a nice amount of income to offset the J-curve that comes from private equity. We then tested the performance of this equity replacement portfolio in various scenarios. And what were the results of those tests? I mean, what was the performance and the outcome of your analysis? Over the full-time period tested from January 2008 to September of 2022, the equity replacement portfolio earned average annualized returns of 9.4% compared to 8.4% for the S&P 500. While public equities experienced a negative correlation to inflation of minus 0.24, the equity replacement portfolio came out to have a zero correlation or complete insensitivity. The equity replacement portfolio proved to be less volatile, experienced approximately half of the standard deviation and drawdown risk of the public equity index. However, we must note that the equity replacement portfolio is less liquid, which is part of the reason for the reduced standard deviation and drawdown risks. We split the observations into three inflation regimes. Low inflation, when the average annualized CPI increases were 60 basis points. Middle inflation periods, where CPI increased by an average of 1.9%. And high inflation periods, where inflation rose on average by 4.4%. In the low inflation scenario, the S&P 500 has very strong returns, beating the equity replacement portfolio by over 2% on average in each calendar quarter. Public equities and the equity replacement portfolio had similar performance in the middle inflation scenario, while the equity replacement portfolio beat the index by 1.6% per quarter during the highest inflation periods. The equity replacement portfolio mixes nicely with a 60-40 portfolio. Whether investors choose to move 10%, 20%, or 30% of their portfolio from public equities into the equity replacement portfolio, returns increase slightly. However, the big story is in the risk, where standard deviation and inflation risk are lower, risk-adjusted returns are higher for investors who choose to deploy the equity replacement portfolio. Note that the equity replacement portfolio was built using only index data, which calculates the performance of a large number of funds in each strategy. In reality, 
manager selection is an important factor, so we believe that there's a chance to significantly enhance performance relative to the base case of the index calculations. Also note that investors cannot access alternative investments through index funds. And what about liquidity? How do you square the fact that investors rely on public equity allocations for liquidity and these alternative asset classes you are using in the portfolio are illiquid? In our view, investors tend to overvalue the importance of liquidity in portfolios, a behavior that often translates into higher overall portfolio volatility. Most of the time, the assets of institutions and individuals saving for retirement represent long-term investments, meaning the need for liquidity is highly diminished. Under such circumstances, trading volatility risk for illiquidity risk might be beneficial. Okay, I see. And taking that into account, the results of your work seem quite compelling. So turning to you, Matt, if these equity replacement portfolios can in fact deliver many of the benefits of public equities without many of the downsides, why aren't all investors using equity replacement already? So a lot of investors are. Alternatives have really been a big allocation of the largest institutional investors. They're already, you know, sort of in on the joke. They already understand uh, the benefits of alternatives and an equity replacement portfolio. As you go to smaller investors, it gets a little bit complicated to put in place an equity replacement portfolio. Let's say an investor wants to put $100 to work in alternatives. That investor first needs to go and select the strategy. So these strategies can be confusing. They're not uh, just going to buy you know, a handful of stocks. It's you know, private equity, it's infrastructure, it's private credit. You have to understand the strategy that you're selecting. Then you have to go and pick a manager. Most of these managers are not household names. And many of the managers accept commitments from only large or existing investors. So uh, finding a manager that can execute on that strategy is a chore. But let's say you get through those two pieces and you commit $100 to a strategy at a manager. You commit the $100, but it takes uh, three or four years for that money to be put to work. The manager will go out, they'll find investments. And then when they find the investment, they'll call your capital. And so since it's uncertain as to when they're going to call that capital, you kind of have to hold cash, which creates some substantial amount of liquidity that you have to hold and it'll drag down your returns. And then of course, you've you've only chosen one strategy in the the example I just gave. uh, And so you're going to be exposed to a a few different concentrations. So uh, there's vintage concentration. So if you you invested in alternative assets in you know 2006 2007 then you'd be exposed to uh, the financial crisis whereas if you invested in 2012 2013 you'd, you'd rise this huge uh, tailwind of uh, of positive performance so the timing of when you're investing is important um, and so you want to be diversified across vintage asset classes you know same thing classes go within alternatives go in and out of favor uh, sometimes venture is performing really well sometimes pe sometimes infrastructure. And so you really want to diversify across asset concentrations. Within each fund, there's you know only a certain amount of investments. And so you want to be mindful of investment concentration as well. But you know all of those things aside, the work that Keith and I have done, it really points to strong risk-adjusted returns, a, a really nice ride to get to uh, equity level of returns. And so we think that it's, uh, it, it's worth it. 
Yeah, but you're right. It doesn't sound so easy. But, so it is possible for investors to access effective equity replacement strategies today? Yeah, so you can go the hard way, which is the way that I just described it. But also, asset managers are now offering uh, solutions that try to mitigate the challenges and simplify the process of investing in alternatives. Uh, these solutions can make it practical for you know really both institutional and uh, individual investors to invest uh, in an equity replacement portfolio. And it really just is an outsourcing of some of those most complex aspects of the investment process. You know, we believe these new solutions are creating new opportunities for institutional and individual investors to improve their experience with alternatives as they try to access the long-term risk-adjusted returns. Well, that's a great message for investors and a great place to end our discussion of equity replacement. But before we end, uh, we're getting closer to a lot of time here. I want to introduce a new segment to the show. I'm calling it a personal recommendation, which is basically a question about what you do when you're not focused on investing. That could be a book you're reading, a movie you've seen, a cultural recommendation, a hobby, anything really. So Matt and Keith, uh, what are your personal recommendations, Matt? Why don't we start with you? Sure. I guess my happy place has always been in the swim pool. I grew up swimming. There's something about the feeling of swimming in water that is almost meditative. So in this era of mindfulness, um, you can sort of get that and get a good workout at the same time. So I really enjoy spending uh, some of my free time in the pool, and uh, I would recommend that to anybody. Well, that sounds amazing. And what about you, Keith? What is your personal recommendation for our listeners here? Tarsten, uh, when my kids were young, we'd sign them up for lots of activities, baseball and basketball and soccer, piano and violin lessons, theater classes, all kinds of things. And they had to work at it with a good attitude for an entire season or an entire show. And then at the end of that period, they give us an honest opinion on whether they liked it or not. So my daughter ended up clicking with drawing and oil painting and visual arts, and my son's into musical theater. So my son just graduated from college and we're moving to Nashville to start his musical career. And along the way, I've seen him perform in over 30 jazz shows, operas, musical theater productions. Uh, so now I've caught the Broadway bug with him, and we've now seen over 50 Broadway shows uh, together. Our most recent show was To Kill a Mockingbird with Richard Thomas, uh, which is highly recommended. Oh, that's incredible. Wow, that sounds amazing. Uh, just a personal recommendation for me is that um, it happens to be that tonight, when we're recording this, we're going out uh, the Salesforce at Apollo to the concert with Drake at Barclays Center in Brooklyn, where I live. I look much forward to that. I've been uh, training and practicing on the songs and getting ready and um, listening to pop music and following what's going on outside our investing halls. Uh, it gives me a lot of pleasure and, of course, it's, um, it's a very, very exciting way to, to be together and have an outing as a team. This has been a fascinating discussion, Matt and Keith. It's great to hear your views on the concept of equity replacement and to learn more about you too. For everyone listening, Matt and Keith have written a white paper about equity replacement, which can be downloaded from the Apollo Academy homepage, apolloacademy.com. And thank you so much for talking to us today. Thanks for having me, Torsten. Yeah, thanks, Torsten. Great to speak with you today. And thank you very much, everyone, for listening. This podcast was recorded on July 18, 2023. Thanks for listening. A quick reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Audible, or by visiting apolloacademy.com, our educational website dedicated to alternative investing, where you can also sign up to have Torsten's Daily Spark economic blog delivered directly to your inbox. Once again, thanks for listening. 
Apollo Global Management Incorporated, together with its subsidiaries, Apollo, makes no representation or warranty, expressed or implied, with respect to the accuracy, reasonableness, or completeness of any of the statements made during this podcast, including, but not limited to, statements obtained from third parties. Opinions, estimates, and projections constitute the current judgment of the speaker as of the date indicated. They do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Apollo and are subject to change at any time without notice. Apollo does not have any responsibility to update this podcast to account for such changes. There can be no assurance that any trends discussed during this podcast will continue. Statements made throughout this podcast are not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for accounting, legal, or tax advice and do not constitute an investment recommendation or investment advice. Investors should make an independent investigation of the information discussed during this podcast, including consulting their tax, legal, accounting, or other advisors about such information. Apollo does not act for you and is not responsible for providing you with the protections afforded to its clients. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security, product, or service, including interest in any investment product or fund or account managed or advised by Apollo. Certain statements made throughout this podcast may be forward-looking in nature due to various risks and uncertainties. Actual events or results may differ materially from those reflected or contemplated in such forward-looking information. As such, undue reliance should not be placed on such statements. Forward-looking statements may be identified by the use of terminology including, but not limited to, may, will, should, expect, anticipate, target, project, estimate, intend, continue, or believe, or the negatives thereof, or other variations thereon, or comparable terminology.